Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Today I have a great and interesting discussion that really helped me about the dynamics of family relationships. I found this fascinating not only because I'm a mother of four, but also because I practice a lot of family therapy when I was still running my clinical practice. So joining me in the studio today, I have New York Times bestselling author, Nedra Glover-Tawab, and we are going to talk about her new book called Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships. We dive into some really important topics. Some of the things we spoke about were, we talk about how to create a safe space for kids so that they can talk to you about issues and how important this is, because if you suppress, it's not going to help. We also talk about why parents aren't solely responsible for sibling relationships, but what they do or don't do can significantly affect the dynamic between siblings. We talk about examples and how to manage this. We also touch on how sometimes it feels like we're raising our parents and not the other way around, and also how to manage this. We also discuss being honest, at least with ourselves, about our childhoods, and remembering that honesty isn't betrayal, it's courage, which helps us deal with the impact of our own parenting and the parenting that we're doing, and also to break cycles in our family. And we discuss so much more, so let's dive in. Nedra, I'm so excited to have you back in studio with me. You know, you and I always have these really great discussions and, you know, work is two different angles, but it's complementary. And so I love how all of us bring a piece of the puzzle to the table. And Mm -hmm. I love your unique angle that you always manage to bring in every one of your books. So thank you so much for writing them. I love this new book. We're going to be talking about drama free. The title just so ingro- you know, that drama free. I immediately thought, yes, I need that. <laughs> a guide to managing unhealthy family relationships, and this mm-hmm. is wonderful. So you really the, this important this focus on the family is just extremely, or this need to understand our family relationships and is so important. And a couple of things that you said, there's so much you said that I want to talk about. But one of the things that really got me was how you spoke about that we can honor. We're still honoring our, our parents when we deal with the impact of our parenting. I paraphrase, but that really touched me when you spoke about that, because I think that sometimes people really battle to sort of, hey, my family's a mess and they don't want to talk about that. But we're all a mess and everyone's families are pretty much messy and that kind of thing. And I think you dispel that very nicely in this book. So welcome and thank you for being with me today to talk through this very important topic. You're welcome. Families are messy in their own unique way. Sometimes the messiness is not in our immediate family. It could be extended family, but it exists in some form or fashion in most families. And it can be really helpful for us to identify what the messiness is. It doesn't mean that we have to run away from it, but maybe we can be more conscious of it and figure out how to manage it in some healthier ways. Mm, I love that. So what prompted you to write this book? You've written the book on boundaries. What led you to write this book? Yes, after the boundaries books, when I looked at the comments and when I would have these conversations on various podcasts about the boundaries book, people wanted a lot of exceptions for family. They're like, this is great, but what if it's my family? I want to name the book, but what if it's my family? Because so many people, they're like, yes, my mother, my mother-in-law, my father, my sister, my brother, they're doing all of these things, but I can't do anything about it because it's family. And it's like, whoa, wait, there are some things that we can do with family. And maybe if we try something a little bit different, 
we will not continue to have the same issues with our family members. A lot of the behaviors that we tolerate have gone unmanaged for far too long. And then you get to this point where you feel like, oh my gosh, I have to accept this. And there needs to be a collective uprising against, you know, some forms of mistreatment and, you know, some inappropriate conversations family members may have or the lack of boundaries that exists within families. There needs to be more conversations, more changes in our behavior to hopefully help us, you know, coexist in a more healthy way. So well put and so necessary because it's so hard to have that conversation with your family member to when you know it's going to erupt in some kind of, you know, challenging situation and then you've got to navigate that and it's sometimes more comfortable just to let's keep the peace you know and let's just and then the the thing perpetuates and then it doesn't only perpetuate in this generation as you talk in this book about you know the cycles that perpetuate through generations you know Mm -hmm. how that's just you know this is what we've done and we just kept quiet about it and now it's the next you should this is just going through generations so let's talk about how do we you know what is the most prominent place to that you would say is is the sort of there's always so many things that's unique to every family but in terms of breaking cycles and these intergenerational cycles what would you say would be one of the most leading type issues that you are facing as you practice i would say parent child dynamics tend to be the most problematic certainly the way that my generation views their relationship with their parents is different than how my mother and father view their relationship with their parents. And certainly it's going to be different, you know, even in my children's different generation. I think as we have evolved as humans, our expectations and relationships have changed. You know, I hear, you know, my mother being very pleased by her parenting that is very different than what I would have wanted <laughs> from my parents. And so People have different expectations now. Mm. And I think that's really hard for our parents to understand sometimes. It's even hard for me to understand as a parent. You Mm. know, as a parent, my kids have an expectation of me being a playmate. An expectation of my parents. So that's a different thing. You know, now they measure good parenting by how much do you play these games with me? How much do you engage in you know, Dow Play and Uno and Nintendo with me. So, you know, there is room for all of these things to exist. And it's really about us thinking about what we're willing to do for relationships and what we certainly can do in those relationships. What I see most is this generation showing up, you know, of people who want more nurturing, they want more connection, they want to be heard, they want attention in a very different way than our parents wanted from their parents. And that's hard to conceptualize, right? It's like, mm. what? Well, gave you everything. Yeah. The house, we hit, it's like, but I wanted you to talk to me. I wanted you to, so it's, it's just so different in in therapy. That's what people are talking about. Like, I can't talk to my parents. I can't, you know, my parents that they tell me what to do. They don't respect any boundaries. And it's like, because their frame of reference is very different. The things you're presenting to them 
are things they would never present to their parents. Mm-hmm. So their mm-hmm. idea of these things being a problem, it's like, how could it be? How could this be a problem? I don't even understand. That's not abuse. That's not neglect. That's the way you parent. And so now we're seeing these, you know, these things sort of come up because we have a different expectation of what parenting should look like. It's not bad because some people will say, oh my gosh, should we have this expectation? Well, it's collective. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's one person creating this. I think there is a g- generations creating this idea of how they wanted to be parented. And unfortunately, there are some parents who did not meet those expectations. Mm. This is complex because as you say, the expectations not being met and the differences and the different, it kind of makes me think, and I'm listening very deeply to what you were saying, it kind of makes me think that the one thing that is consistent with consistent with parenting is that it's going to change with every generation and that the only way you're going to get this parenting thing right is by having discussions with your children creating an open environment that you can actually learn from your children and by their feedback but obviously you're still the parent but to have this space where we can negotiate almost negotiate and talk through and understand their need and you know, children are very open from my own experience as a parent of four that are all now adults. They're definitely very open to, especially this generation, I can see a difference between my, for example, my 32-year-old and my 25-year-old. There's, mm. But there's definitely an openness to when you create a space where they can come and tell you, hey, how you did that has impacted me in this way. And you can explain, well, I did it that way because that's how I understood and from my parenting or whatever. I'm giving you such broad examples. And they can say, that you know, but this is the impact, and we can say, Oh, I'm sorry about that impact, not my intention. What is a better way? That seems to be kind of a good conversation that we need to have and a consistent thing that each generation is going to have to have. I, I don't know, what do you is that what you are thinking, seeing? How do you feel about that idea? I love that idea. I think what typically happens is a person gets pregnant and they have this idea of what parenting should be, or maybe they don't even think about it. And their stuff is not really based on their particular child. It's based on, you know, their history, what they've seen Mm -hmm. others do, what they want to do. It's not really the kid saying, hey, I don't want that or I need more of this. And if we could pay more attention to the unique experience that we have with each of our children, I think parenting would be better because there are kids who need certain things while their siblings may not. You have four children. So there may be a kid who loves hugging and there's another kid who's like, please do not hug me. Exactly. (laughs) I think what you said there is so key. It's like the, you, it's, have these conversations with our kids, you know, and let them feed back to you and work out and work and work out the best way of that's unique to each child. Yeah. And be open to those conversations because it's not really up to me to say, you know, this person was a good parent or this person was a bad parent because it's really based on the child's experience. Yeah. You know, it's based on your child to say, you know, I I think I had, I don't know. You know, I have an idea of what I think good parenting is, but it might be different for you because you're a unique individual. Your needs are different than my needs. 
and you have your own idea of what this should look like. I see a lot of siblings sometimes having squabbles about their experience with parents because they're two different people. Yeah, there you go. One child may say, oh my gosh, our parents were never around. And the other one was like, what? They were were here all the time. And they're not (laughs) thinking about, well, the first five years of life, this is what your experience was like. And this is what my experience. I mean, it's just so many things. Yeah. It's so many things that go into that that we don't really consider and we really have to focus in on how our experience, even in the same household, can be different from, you know, maybe our siblings experienced. And certainly it is a different experience than our parents had with their parents. Hey guys, if you didn't know already, I have a new book coming out August 8 on how to help your child clean up their mental mess. This book is the blueprints and guide I wish I had as a parent. It's packed with practical, simple and scientific techniques and scripts for parents, caregivers, teachers, grandparents and guardians to help children become more mentally and emotionally resilient. There are guides on how to use the neurocycle with your child to deal with loneliness, self-doubt, sibling issues and so much more. If you pre-order now before August 8th, you'll get access to some really amazing bonus content like a free webinar on how to mentally prepare for back to school and I will be answering your questions about the book during this webinar. To pre-order now, go to mentallyresilientkids.com or drleaf.com. The book is also available on Amazon and wherever you buy your books, plus the audiobook is narrated by me. Let's go to mentallyresilient.com and pre-order before August 8th to get access to these amazing bonuses. The link and details will be in the show notes. It's so different. You know, I was just having a conversation with my 87-year-old mom this morning and we're expecting our first grandchild in August this year. So my eldest daughter is, her and her husband are expecting the, their first child. Now, that's, that's we're all obviously so excited. And I was just telling my mom, we got the baby shower coming up. And she said, oh, to be careful not to spoil the child. And you know, I know she's coming from a generation. She emphasized for her that was, I'm so excited, but her emphasis was on don't spoil the child because we're all so excited and you, that child's going to be spoiled, obviously. But her, her her generation was don't give a child too much. Don't give them too much praise. Don't because it's going to spoil them. And that's where she came from. And I remember growing up as a child with my mom, you know, I'd go and show her a picture. And this is not to shoot my mom down. It's the generation and I honor and respect my mom, but I had to work out the impact on myself. And I've been so careful not to do this with my own children. And I remember showing her a picture and saying, oh, mom, look at my picture. And I was, oh, probably six or seven. It was probably some terrible looking picture. And instead of her, like I, as a child, needed the praise, she was, I'm not going to spoil you. That's okay. You could do better. You know, and it's Mm -hmm. just, it's just that generational perception. And, but yet I never was able to tell my mom that because she would have been very upset if I'd said, Hey mom, could you be a bit, you know, I needed a bit of praise and whatever. So I remember this morning trying to just go explain to my mom, we are going to spoil that child and you can't love a child too much. And it's okay because if you bring the balance in, but it was something that just, I could see it was going over her head, her main, and that's this generational thing that Mm -hmm. we, my mom's 87 and she doesn't, maybe in a conversation with the baby or something, we can talk around that. But it's what you're saying. There's this very strong perception that a generation has, which can then have this quite negative impact on the future generations until it's actually discussed and unpacked in a different way, look at it in a different way. And that's, I think, what you're encouraging. And I know what I try to encourage is to have these open conversations 
and mm. deal with the uniqueness of each situation and not think this is how I did it. Therefore, this must be the only way to do things, which is very much a boomer and and beyond's kind of philosophy. Whereas this generation is much more open to negotiation. I don't know. I could be wrong, but that's just my perception of how I'm seeing things. I am team spoil your child with boundaries. You know, yes. spoil them and also have some boundaries. Exactly. They I can't agree. have everything, but should we withhold praise? Should we withhold affection? Should we withhold giving them, you know, things simply because they want it? Absolutely not. But there are some things that we will have to say no to. Exactly. Um, it's a balance. Yeah, there are some firm limits we'll we'll need to have with children. But I remember, you know, people saying, not to me, but when I was younger and I was around younger kids, people saying, put that baby down. You're going to spoil that baby by holding yes, it. Yes, that's, my, my, yeah, that's what my yeah. mom used to say with my kids. Yeah. I want all babies to be spoiled <laughs> by being held so much. Their feet never need to hit the ground. They exactly. Who don't need to be laid down? Just hold that baby. You know, can you imagine so much love that somebody just wants to sit under you all day? Oh my gosh. That's just so yeah. beautiful. It is. You know? it is. And, and I think there was a time that we didn't know the neglectful ramifications of not spoiling children. In that sense, yeah. Yeah, we didn't we didn't know that that leads to children questioning themselves. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that that led to low self-esteem or the inability to ask for help or the inability to receive praise from other people. You know, so there are so many negative ramifications from this idea of stripping people of love, affection, attention, praise as a way to create this this character. The character that we created Mm -hmm. and many people was very hard. It Mm. was good for their mental health. Mm. It created, you know, your mom's generation created my mom's generation. Mm -hmm. People who don't talk about having issues. Exactly. Exactly. Let's, and that's the biggest lie that they lie yeah, to themselves. And so it's like, well, they weren't spoiled. <laughs> that's the solution. If you didn't spoil them, they wouldn't have the issues. <laughs> yeah. So they weren't spoiled. But then, the, you know, that generation birthed people who were like, wait a minute, we need, we need to be spoiled. Where's exactly. Where's <laughs> so, oh. you know, we're, we're overcorrecting these things sometimes. And I'm yeah. Because you know, because my generation was like, wait a minute, we need to be spoiled. Now we've gone like super spoiled. And extreme <laughs> and created narcissists instead of creating self-esteem. So we've got yes. like entitlements. And so it is, it's, oh. you know, praise the effort, not the end product. It's pray, give the love, the touch, the hug, yes. that kind of spoiling that. But yeah, so yeah, it is, it's the overcorrecting. That's very, very, very so good point. I- I guess historically we just overcorrect. <laughs> like every generation yeah. is trying to overcorrect the next generation. It's like, oh gosh, one day we'll we'll get it right. And one we'll day we'll be- get it right. Well, I think it's the conversations that we're having now, which I love. If I look at just, you know, being in the I mean, I'm 60 now, nearly 60, and I've been in the field for like 30, 38 years. And if mm-hmm. I just look at the changes 
sort of every 10 years that have happened, the openness now to, I mean, like just for example, I would let my children give me feedback. My mother would watch this in horror and say, but you the parent, you know, and, uh, but then as she got older and the, all the grandchildren came along, she was fascinated by the fact that, it, that, one of, that the grandchildren would give feedback about what was not, you know, feedback about life and about what didn't work and did. So she watched that change and I've watched this change in my career. And we definitely have got to a point now where the overcorrecting is maybe it's still overcorrecting, but it'd be talking. That mm-hmm. is what I've seen shift. And I don't know if you've seen this, Nedra, in your in your career as well, but the shift of me having to help parents years ago when I first started practicing to, hey, listen to your child, give them a chance to tell you. It's not just honoring for them to say, hey, mom, when you did this or dad, you did this, this made me feel like this. That's not a dishonoring of you. That's them giving you a chance to communicate and, you know, and work out ways to better. Now it's like, that's, that's just, I don't practice anymore, but that is just, it's the done thing. We we need to talk about those kind of things. Have you seen a similar sort of shift over the years? And I mean, I assume you have, because you've written this kind of book, so I'd be interested on your in your opinion about that. You know, I started my career working with teenagers and I work with teenagers who were running away from home. And often there was a lot of family work involved because, you know, the family would say, I don't know what's going on with this kid. Mm-hmm. This kid is just running away because they're bad. And you talk to the kid and there's all these things going on in the house and you're like, okay, this is not necessarily a bad kid. They have some family Mm -hmm. stuff going on here. And to get, you know, parents to talk about those issues at that time, and that was 2006, 2007, Mm -hmm. I think it's still as hard to get parents to acknowledge their role and what's going on with their children. Mm, so interesting. It is still very hard. hard. And I, I know why it's hard. Parents, many parents do the best they can. For sure. Many parents do the best they can. And it can be hard to know that you are doing your absolute best and your child is still being impacted by you know, maybe the neighborhood they live in, other family members, your relationship with the other parent, you know, how you discipline them, how you like all of this stuff, like you're doing the best you can. So Mm -hmm. to receive that feedback or to see the manifestation of some of those things, it can be really hard. Mm -hmm. Now, are not 100% responsible for you know, who their child becomes or, you know, what's happening with them. But kids very often react to what they're seeing and experiencing in their households. And mm-hmm. it's not just that they're experiencing these terrible things, is that they don't have any outlets to express how they feel about mm-hmm. these things. And if they can't express how they feel, so, they such start a problem. Acting. Yeah, they become actors of the experience, right? So absolutely. I don't even, you know, a lot of kids, they haven't been taught healthy emotional skills of, oh my gosh, I'm upset because, or this bothers me. They may Mm -hmm. not have that skill, but you know what they could do? Cut class, smoke, 
you know, all this other mm-hmm. stuff. It's mm-hmm. a retaliation to those things, but mm-hmm. they, they're not able to connect it because they haven't had the experience. They haven't had any adults teaching them, you know, how do you feel today? What's going on with you? My nine-year-old, every single day, she's like, come on, let's let's talk about my question for the day. What was the best thing about your day? What was the, you know, so she she's... Quite a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Her mom is a therapist. So it started <laughs> with me asking the question. Now she's asking me the question. It's so cute. It's, it's so brilliant. And it it's it's so wonderful. I do a lot of work of, you know, I want you to have a journal. You know, there are some things you want to tell me. There are other things I think you need to speak to yourself about. So at this stage, I think it is, you know, these guided journals. There are tons of them for kids. There's kids, you know, how to manage their own problems, how to identify their feelings, how Mm -hmm. to talk to people when they have issues with that person. Like there's so many things that we can do as parents to hopefully prepare them for what being, you know, an adult or being in relationships with other people can look like. We won't be able to do everything. They will still no. have problems. Exactly. They go regardless. Yeah. Regardless of how how much you do allow you bring that into your family, there will still be problems. But then at least you've got they've got the emotional resilience and they have a system or a way of managing that. I mean, this is the reason I wrote the book, my, the book that's that's coming out in August, how to clean up your, how to help your child clean up their mental mess. It's exactly what you're saying. If we can give our kids the tools and create that environment, we can't anticipate or predict every situation, but at least we give them a level of growth in their thinking that they can deal with that. Yeah. And I, and I think some kids don't have the tools and because of that, they become adults who also don't have the tools. And as you exactly. know, life goes on, they have children and the parent doesn't have the tools and the cycle continues. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's one of these things that it takes one person to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. One person. So it could but, be grandma, it could be mom, it could be dad, it could be the grandfather, it could be an auntie, but it could just be one person, one person. willing to deal with the discomfort of doing something a little different that can really change generations. That's such a powerful statement. You know, that's not an impossible thing to do either. There's always someone who's in the family that is going to, you know, think think in that way. And so to encourage that person to speak up and to create the environment and start the conversation, but just take one person, that's a very hopeful comment. Nedra, there's so many questions I want to ask you, and, and I want to just dive in. The first, the, the I mean, we having we can just keep going down this road of discussion, but there's something that I think the listeners are going to benefit tremendously, and then they obviously need to get the book. It's fantastic, drama-free. Don't we all desire drama-free family life? Parents, you have, a, you have a comment that you make. Parents aren't solely responsible for sibling relationships, and what they do or don't do can significantly affect the dynamic between siblings. I thought that was fascinating. You know, what are some examples of parents causing harm to a sibling relationship and what does the path towards healing look like? I think that's a really hot, hot button topic. Well, parents sometimes are not very helpful because they will pit kids against each other. You know, there's there's this thing that parents do where they do this comparing 
which automatically pits kids against each other. Exactly. And you may not notice like, oh, your drawing is nice. But the other day, your sister drew something that was amazing. You know, like that's yeah. a, for Ouch. someone hearing that a, about themselves, like your intention yeah. may not have been to, you know, hurt a child. An issue, yeah. It created an issue. That is creating some some competition that, oh, my drawing needs to be as good as this person's drawing. And that's just something unconsciously that parents, you know, do a lot of. When your sister or when your brother was this age, he didn't cry this much. Mm. Seems so <laughs> innocent, doesn't it? But yeah. it carries a huge yeah. impact. <laughs> yeah. Your brother is just so sweet to me. You know, just all of those things that yeah. sort of roll off the tongue, which can be a truth, right? Like that can be the truth. But those are things that you have to maybe keep to yourself mm-hmm. because it's not helpful to say to a child. Mm. Another thing that I observe with parents sometimes is not teaching kids how to treat not just their siblings, but other people. There are Mm. things siblings do to each other that are outright mean and wrong. Mm -hmm. If you're using a crayon and someone snatches the crayon from you and Mm -hmm. throws it across the room, I think that behavior has to be corrected and saying, well, they they share their crayons with you. Well, they just threw the crayon across the room. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's like a different way. I think when children are adults, you know, siblings have issues and there are times where parents will just, you know, oh, don't say that about your sister. Don't say that about your brother. But what if the behavior is wrong? It is me. It is inappropriate. Mm. Do you say, oh, maybe you don't say, yes, your your brother is a jerk. Maybe you don't say that, but maybe you do say, you know, what he did to you, it, it doesn't seem like a nice thing. I don't want to get in the middle of it. I do want you to talk to him about it, but I don't agree with the behavior. That's very good. Yeah, that's a very good phraseology you've used there. Yeah. So how do you mm-hmm. stand behind appropriate behavior no matter who it is? You know, mm-hmm. this idea of I'm going to stay out of it is not supporting anyone. No, it's not. Because it is impacting the dynamics of the entire family. So there is one that is as you say, there could be something that they're doing that's upsetting, that isn't good, isn't behavior or behavior that's impacting the sibling. And it's not behavior that you should stand behind. To be able to have that phraseology, we've got to look at the impact on that person, that, that child, that sibling needs to look at the impact on the other sibling and recognize and take ownership of that impact and recognize, sure, what you're going through is coming from something and you need to work on that. But at the same time, there is an impact. And mm-hmm. there is, and, and that impact, we've got to also think of the other sibling. They, are being impacted and they need support too because that's hard for them. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's to it's that a fine wire tightrope that you're walking yeah. to find that neutral language as a parent mm-hmm. to be able to honor the impact of a sibling on a sibling and honor the sibling who's battling what they're going through, you know, to be able to respect their boundaries and respect the privacy and all that kind of thing. That's a very challenging one. Do you have suggestions for specific suggestions for that kind of situation? Now you've given an example, but some more languaging or examples or something like that around that, because I know that that's a big issue. I get a lot of questions like that. Yeah, I, I think sometimes there is space, especially when kids are younger and they argue about every single thing. 
Parents don't need to jump in and say, give your sister her pillow, give your brother his cover, get out of his, you know, sometimes you do have to let them just sort of work it, work it out. But there are times where you need to step in when you see mean and inappropriate behavior. As they become adults, you know, you step back a little bit more, but just from human to human, some things are unkind, some things are not appropriate. And just noticing when that happens can be very helpful. And it can also, you know, build connection with your kids that you're not going to just let anybody, anything fly in a relationship. Because what it's saying is sometimes, you know, I, I hear parents basically saying, it doesn't matter how your sibling treats you, that's your sibling. It doesn't mm. matter how they treat you. You need to get over it. That's your brother. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, that's healthy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not that's not fair because mm-hmm. there's no other relationship where you will uh, tell someone to allow certain behaviors because it's their friend or to allow certain behaviors because it's your neighbor. Exactly. You know? So when it's a sibling as well, we have to acknowledge that the behavior, not the person, the behavior is is inappropriate. I like that. That's re- that's really good to to acknowledge that, and they both both sides, both parties, or however many parties are involved, need to be heard. And if that, that, that comment you made, this is your family, families, whatever you, whatever, protect them, accept them, that kind of stuff. But you know, it will create if there's multiple children. What I've seen in my experience as a clinician as well, and the kind of questions we get asked is it will create a divide, and you're going to have the one that's or two that are whatever. If it's one. And that person's creating eruption at that particular period in their life, and 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 you don't acknowledge the impact on the others. They can, there's going to be the split that's going to happen, and it, between you, know, it's going to shift over. That if you don't, if they don't feel the ones that are being impacted, if they don't feel heard, if it's not spoken about, it becomes this problem, you know. And, and the the sibling that's going through the stuff that's impacting them, or the two siblings, or whatever it may be, they're going to know that there's an impact. So the honestly, the getting it out there, the acknowledging. Yes, I hear this is not the right behavior. I'm sorry about the impact on you. This is really important that we talk about it, isn't it, Nedra? That we really like hear them, but at the same time, you know, giving support to the other child to create this certain behaviors are acceptable, certain aren't. Let's teach them about the impact kind of attitude. And that's hard to find the words and the balance for that. Absolutely. I, I think that. You know, with parents, it can be really tough managing multiple personalities. (laughs) And so what parents typically will do is try to parent everyone the same way or they won't acknowledge. You know, what I see a lot of is parents not acknowledging that they're doing something different with one child. You'll have kids who will point out like you always take take this one to the store. You always call this one or you always do this thing. And no, 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 I don't do that. Listen to that information. Do Mm. I I always going shopping with this one child and not the other? Maybe I want you to go shopping with them. Maybe it's something else. They just want to see you as often as you see their sibling. So Mm. really figuring out what that need is and not dismissing it. I don't do that. No, that's not true. Because Sometimes it is true. I've seen yeah. it where parents, you know, gravitate towards the child who they identify with the most or the child that they have the most in common with 
or the child who they may feel needs like this extra love and support. And those other children can be missing out, right? Mm. Because you're like, oh, you know, this one, they're not as, they're not great with decision-making. And maybe you have two who are great with decision-making. They still need something. Maybe Mm. they don't need help with decisions, but you have to figure out what they need because your relationship with them really isn't separate than the relationship they have with their siblings. They will start disliking the sibling because of the the differences that they're noticing. You know, I read, Mm. I think it's called sibling rivalry, where they talked about that being the core of sibling rivalry, the parents' Mm. attention towards the children. So when children are younger and kids fight a lot, their recommendation is spend more one-on-one time with your kids and the fighting will subside. They're fighting for you. They're fighting for you. So you have to figure out, okay, maybe maybe there is a piece of truth in here. Maybe this kid is really independent, but maybe I could still, you know, get in here and call them every day and say, hey, what do you have planned for the day? Maybe it's not you doing the same thing that you do for your other children, but figuring out what you can do in this relationship. Are you looking for visibly thicker hair and less shedding? but also follow a plant-based lifestyle? Maybe stress is causing your hair to thin, or is it the other way around? Nutrafol knows that to address any of these problems, you have to address all of them. Their whole body health approach with their vegan supplement can help you feel better and look better in that order. Millions of Americans experience thinning hair. It's not only common, it's normal. But among women, it's not openly talked about and going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who are standing up for their strands with Nutrafol's brand new vegan formula. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement brand and is a physician formulated with 100% drug-free ingredients. Their newest all-vegan formula is for women ages 18 plus with plant-based lifestyles who are experiencing signs of hair thinning. It targets key root causes of thinning hair in women such as stress, nutrition and metabolism. With consistent daily use Nutrafol's Women's Vegan Hair Growth Supplement promotes visibly less hair shedding, visibly thicker hair volume, and hair that grows faster, longer, and stronger. Indeed, in a clinical study, 100% of women reported improved hair strength after three months and more scalp coverage after six months. I have seen this myself taking these supplements daily. My hair is so much thicker and stronger, and I'm seeing less breakage. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Dr. Leaf. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code Dr. Leaf. That's Nutrafol.com promo code Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. That's really brilliant advice. I love that. That's Amazing. I love how you verbalize that. It's going to help so many people. Okay, so another one I had here is, ah, this is a good one. Sometimes it feels like we're raising our parents and not the other way around. What does that look like when children are raising their parents? And how can you manage a relationship with emotionally immature parents? Raising your parents can be financial. You know, some people are supporting their parents financially Mm -hmm. and, you know, 
paying for their housing, paying for you know them to visit, paying for vacation, paying for all sorts of things. And for children, that can feel like, oh my gosh, my parent is not responsible. Like I'm responsible for them. Mm. And that's a, you know, a reverse in roles, right? Another way that we might see a person parenting their parent is their parent does not have an emotional awareness, emotional intelligence, and they're constantly, you know, doing things that you may not do. You have some parents who constantly create drama in the family. Mm. And it's like, gosh, this is such an immature behavior for my, mm-hmm. my father or mother to be doing yeah. these things. Like, this is not even stuff I would do. Or yeah. even parent who demands a lot of attention or a parent who doesn't know what to say and is, you know, constantly saying the wrong thing or saying things in an emotionally inappropriate way. Those mm-hmm. are situations where you may feel that the roles are reversed, like you're having mm-hmm. to teach them, you're having to provide for them or guide them. It's really important that the adult child recognizes the amount of work that they're willing to do in the relationship. Mm. If you're going to financially provide, how much? (laughs) You know, like, be specific. Okay. Yeah. How do you want to help? Maybe you have a budget of, you know, every month I will set aside $500 for my parents. Maybe I'll pay my parents rent. Maybe it'll, you know, maybe I'll buy them groceries here and there. You know, hey, when my mom calls me to gossip, this is how I'll respond to it. When my mom, you know, starts figuring out how you want to respond to the behaviors that you don't necessarily always have to correct. Maybe you do want to support them in some way. Maybe you do want to be in a relationship with them. And when you are in the the reverse role sort of dynamic, you have to figure out what the boundaries can be for that relationship. It's not, it may not be like your peers who have, you know, parents who are responsible or, you know, who are emotionally supportive and all of these things. But what can the relationship look like? What does a boundary relationship look like with an emotionally immature parent? Mm, To get quite specific and to decide what you can actually handle, what you prepared to do that is not impacting your mental health. Because as an adult, you're not responsible for your parents' issues. You're there obviously to support and love, but it's not for you to be responsible for them. And I think that can sometimes happen when a child feels that they're parenting a parent, is they feel that they've got to make it better and make it go away and make that parent feel better. And what you hear, what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, at the expense of your own mental health, you don't have to do that. You need to make those decisions on the boundaries of what you are prepared to and not prepared to do, and then try to stick to those boundaries and build from there. Otherwise, you're going to get terribly frustrated and resentful mm-hmm. and all kinds of other issues. Did I understand mm-hmm. you correctly? Did I paraphrase that? Did I, did I understand you correctly? Yes, you did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> you did a great job. I just wanted to make sure because I think that's such an important point. Okay, so okay, a couple more questions. To be honest, at least with yourself about your childhood. Remember, honesty isn't betrayal. This is kind of how I started the conversation today because this is something that is something that has popped up in my own life and in the life of so many of my patients when I practiced and I get so many questions like this there's almost this tremendous guilt of a, of a child dealing with the impact of a parent almost thinking that if I say these things or if I'm you know if I look at what happened in my childhood that I'm being 
I'm betraying a parent or not showing enough love. And I've got to do that thing that you say, this is your sibling, no matter what. You just got to, this is your family, no matter what. We ostrich mentality, stick your head in the ground and just deal with it. That is mm -hmm. not healthy because that is going to create so much toxicity and manifest in all ways, mentally and physically through adolescence and adulthood. So I'd love to talk about that concept of being honest, at least with yourself about your childhood. And it isn't betrayal, it's courage. Beautiful, the way you say that. What And what are some, you know, talk about that and some reasons we don't talk about family problems. Shame. You know, within families, we hear and we see a lot. So it doesn't have to be directly said to us for us to understand what we're supposed to do. I've heard some LGBTQ plus folks say, my parents never had to say to me, I hate people who are in same gender relationships or anything like that. I gathered that from what they did, from oh. what they, you know, from how they responded to seeing certain mm. people in the world, from how they treated auntie so-and-so or mm -hmm. what little comments they would make on the phone. So you gather you know, mm. how you're supposed to show up in the world. So when you're honest about stuff, you know how your parents and your the rest of your family members feel about certain things being said because they've said it, <laughs> you know, not directly yeah. about you, but you can, you know, you can hear a person say, oh girl, I can't believe she got that on. That means don't wear that thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> person who wears that thing you're like oh my gosh I can't tell my parents oh gosh it's so sad when you hear this it's like so it's so real <laughs> yeah it's like it's not always what they say to you directly as much as what you absorb in the environment mm -hmm. around certain people and parents we may not realize that children are sponges and we have to be very careful, even when we don't think they're watching, about how we say things, what words we choose, because it all matters. Even if it doesn't matter now, it'll matter in the future when they feel that they can't say this thing or they can't do this thing because of something we said 20 years ago that they mm, have held on to. Gosh. Yeah. Well, I couldn't tell you this because I know you don't like this. And you're like, well, okay, wait a minute. What did I say in 1982? And we don't even realize the impact. But now if we have these honest, open relationships in our family, we create spaces where children feel safe. Then as a parent says that, they could say, hey, I actually like wearing that. Or, you know what, I'm bisexual or I am whatever. They, they they feel safe enough to be able to say that. Then they can, that changes the environment. And, and from what I read in your books and know about you and what, our common common focus on on mental health is is we've got to have these open we've got the way to counter that is to have these open spaces that are safe and even if you don't like what's coming out of your child's mouth that's your child and they are their own unique individual and it's for us to love them no matter what you think is you know whatever your philosophies and things are yeah i i think the uniqueness of of our role is we probably hear people talk about this stuff so it does shape the way that you probably parent your your children yeah. right mm -hmm. you know i'm like i don't want to use partner with my kids but i'm like do they have a girlfriend or boyfriend <laughs> exactly exactly you, you know like just just being open 
yeah. about language and being open about different things gives kids this this space of, oh, you know, I can say this thing. It's not always about, you know, well, I can say that. It's like what you what you didn't say. So, so they're, you know, kids, when they're, you know, trying to figure out who they are in the world, they mm-hmm. do think about you. They do think about, you know, how they want to be perceived by you. And sometimes with them being honest, they know that it'll hurt you. You know, so to say to a child, hey, I smoking is not good for you, but you smoke is not good for me either. Can you can you imagine an adult? saying like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something that's not right. Just showing them that you're not perfect. You're not exactly. You're not beyond being corrected, frees them from the future shame that they can have that whatever is the truth, I want you to be able to speak it. So if we Mm -hmm. want our kids to be who they are and be these ambassadors of courage and strength Mm, mm. we have to allow them to do that with us Mm. we have to own our stuff and not make it seem like you know well this is something i can do and you can do i shouldn't be doing this you know sometimes when i that's really good tell my Mm. kids i shouldn't be doing this either you know like i shouldn't be on this bicycle with no helmet (laughs) yeah there you go i shouldn't be gossiping i shouldn't be saying this exactly exactly Finding good quality foods for an affordable price can be stressful, but premium meals don't have to come at a premium price. ButcherBox provides you with the best meat and seafood on the planet so you can whip up quality meals on your budget. They take the guesswork out of finding high quality meat and seafood you can trust with 100% grass-fed beef, organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free and wild-caught seafood. All of their products are humanely raised with no antibiotics or added hormones. With ButcherBox, I get just what I want delivered right to my doorstep with free shipping in the continental US and no surprise fees. Plus, I get to choose from a variety of box plan options from curated to customized and change my plan whenever I want. Recently, my husband and I have been enjoying their delicious ground beef. We love making smash burgers on the grill in the warmer weather. I also love their exclusive member deals so I can save big on my favorite cuts. Plus, they have recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. Some are even personalized, so I can always cook up mouth-watering meals at any time of the day, which is great when I don't have time to plan what to cook for lunch or dinner. And for a limited time, ButcherBox is giving us a special deal. Sign up today using the code DRLEAF to receive ground beef for a year plus $20 off your first order. That's two pounds of ground beef free in every box for a year plus $20 off your first order when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash DRLEAF and use the code Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. It's that creating that environment where a child can tell you, hey, you know, why are you not wearing a helmet? You know, why are you mm-hmm. doing... And then they're not being difficult. They are actually being honest humans. They're trying to find something out. And I think the other key thing for me is that we need to be able to change because we can have... We are nurturing has impact. We were someone's daughter and someone's son. And whatever, or two parents, whether it's LGBTQ, whatever your, your family dynamic is, and that's impacted you. So you may have a certain nurturing you brought in. We've discussed this already. So therefore, for a child to say, hey, but you know what that is, and I've observed this in, in families, and I'm sure you have too, where there is, it's so hard for the change to happen. But if you want to maintain your relationship with your child, 
there's a certain negotiation that has to be, you have to change. You have to change and, and see that, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I have looked at this from a very, very narrow perspective. I know I went through huge changes and I'm sure you can attest to that too. You know, as you as your parents and whatever, and growing up, you, you grow, you change. And to be able to say, hey, I was wrong when I thought like that, that was came from there. That was what all I understood, but I can see I was wrong. For me, that is such a key thing for kids to see as well is the recognition that, you know, people's opinions, because their opinions will change. It gives them the freedom to recognize that one opinion is not necessarily the only opinion or the way that I saw things for the first five years or 10 years or whatever of my life is not necessarily the only way of looking at life. That ability of a parent to say I was wrong, you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier too, is so key, but it could be very big life things as well. Mm -hmm. And, And parents need to be open about that. It's you're not failing as a parent. It's that's good old messy parenting and and honesty and authenticity in action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. That's kind of what you said. I'm just paraphrasing back and saying <laughs> that that change thing because I've watched this. I've watched this with just you know with all kinds of families and to have to shift and change like whole perspectives is is very hard. But then you decide you know your relationship with your child. That's the most important thing. You know, and how can we work through and respect differences of opinion and all that sort of stuff? And it's doable, isn't it, Nedra? I mean, it's you you working with families. Sure, it's it's absolutely doable, and it requires a level of vulnerability and also not mastery of the job of being a parent. Like you're always growing in your ability to be a better parent, and I think some. Some of us too soon feel like I know everything about this role. And it's like, you don't. No. It's constantly changing. No, listen, I've been a parent for 32 years now, and I still feel every day like, wow, this is something new to learn. Now I've got to learn how to handle this situation. And and that is the way I believe we should be open to learning. You don't know it all. The way you did it's not necessarily the best way for the future. Okay, we've got time. You've got time for one more question because there was yes. another thing that really caught my attention. Adult children are adults. I love this. Let's talk a little bit about adult children. Adult children are adults. You can't manage aspects of your child, adult child's life and giving them space to grow up and be their own person in the relationship. What are some things you can do if you want a healthy relationship with an adult child? In other words, I think what you're trying to say there is that you can't control everything. How do you create, because you mentioned already, and we all know as parents that the older they get, the more that we have to step back and get invited in as opposed to imposing our opinions and be there to support, but it's very much, you know, wait for them. What can you speak to in terms of the adult child? I don't think we all know that, that our role is to become more of a support person. I think there are some parents who believe that their role is to continue to parent as they always have. And that role does shift interesting. the mm-hmm. transition to, okay, now my child is on their own. And, you know, maybe there are some things that I can help with and they'll let me know what those things are. And there are some things that I have to step back from. And there are some things where, you know, I may just want to jump in and, and say something. And I think you have to negotiate what that looks like. And it can be different, you know, for each child. So there has to be this openness to allow your child to create their life and to figure out, you know, where you sort of align with that. It starts mm. to be a relationship where you are supporting 
who they are. You're not creating it. You know, you're not like, okay, we're going to volleyball lessons. They're like picking their own stuff. They're doing their Mm -hmm. own thing. And you're like, okay, so this is, this is the food you want to feed your kids. This is the, okay. So this is what (laughs) you're just supporting. They have to be able to develop their own thing and they will invite you in and certainly listen to you when you can respect them as adults. That's what I see when when parents are able to respect their children, the, the kids usually listen. I you can't agree more. Or mm. pushback when the parent is always trying to tell the kid what to do. And the kid is like, wait a minute, I'm an adult here. Mm-hmm. That's it. So yeah. So you have to allow them to really step into their yeah. adulthood, figure out their life, pick their partner if they want one, to figure out what life looks like for them. And they will invite you in because of the relationship you've built with them. You don't have to force anything on your children. Mm. Beautifully said, and I can totally attest it with four adults, two married, all four work with me, three full-time and one part-time. And I can tell you that much that it is the more you, and you have to learn that, you have to make that decision. As As they get older and older, the more you stand back, the more they'll invite you in. And that's really, so I, I can honestly say that what the way you summarize it there is beautiful. What it would be a, a sort of final word of wisdom that you want people to get out of this? You such a desire to help people be successful in their rela- family relationships. It's, it's a big ask, but can you kind of summarize that into sort of a phrase or a, and a piece of advice that would be a nice pearl of wisdom to just end this conversation, but start the conversation in their heads? With family relationships, it's important to know that the best way to improve them is to address the issues. Without addressing the issues and changing your part and doing your part, nothing changes. You know, if you sit with the issue, if you tell everybody else except for the person, if you go to this person who doesn't have an issue with themselves and say, here's a list of things you need to change, you will often be disappointed. Real change starts with you and it will require some shifting of expectations, changes in your behavior, and maybe even, you know, re-sculpting what the relationship can be with certain people. Beautiful. What a what a pearl of wisdom to go out on. That's so incredible. I encourage everyone to get the book and we're going to put the link to the book in the show notes and people can follow you. It's what is your, your Instagram, your social media handle? Yes, it's Nedra Tawab. And please visit my website where all of my books and most information is housed about me and my work. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for once again, having a very beautiful, informed, practical, deep discussion. I love talking to you. It's been so, so, so exciting. I look forward to the next conversation. Same. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leith. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. 
I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.